Right now you can earn 4.8% on US treasuries. That's right, 4.8% on US treasuries, not in DeFi. How do you do that? It's super easy. We just partnered with public.com. Go to public.com, open a US treasury account, put your cash to work. You can also get access to a bunch of other things like stocks, crypto, whole bunch of other assets all in one place. It's super cool. Public.com forward slash empire. That's public.com forward slash empire. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Empire. You got me, Yano. We got Sam Kazmian uh, from Frax. And then we are uh, we booted Santiago from this one. We got Dan Smith, uh, senior analyst on the BlockWorks research team joining us. So uh, Dan, Sam, welcome to Empire, guys. Thanks for having Appreciate me. It. So Sam, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm excited we're chatting because I feel like I've been uh, blown up with Frax, uh, Frax stuff for the last like six months. Uh, if you looked in the BlockWorks research Slack channel, it's basically 50% DeFi and uh, 50% the rest is just consumed by Frax info. So I'm, I'm happy that we're having this conversation. I, was, um, I will admit I'm not as in touch with some Frax stuff as, as the analysts are, but as I was researching this, my first thought was like, I guess kind of found on a founder to founder note, I was like, man, this guy's there's, there's no focus here. There's no, like, we've got the, like, we've got the uh, lending stuff. We've got the stable coin stuff. And the more I read about it, the more I realized I was, it's actually completely 180 wrong. There's this like core, like one line vision and mission and everything that you build ties back to that. So I thought it could be helpful um, to maybe start there with like, what is the overarching vision and all these products that you build? Like, what are they tying back to? And then, and then we can get into some of the more specifics. Yeah, definitely. I, and uh, I couldn't have said it better. Uh, you, you, you captured it really well. A lot of people uh, try to l learn about like Frax. And, and so uh, they're a little confused because there's like so much stuff we've built now. So Frax protocol issues uh, the best and most innovative stablecoins. We're, we're stablecoin maximalists, so to speak. And uh, I'll, I'll explain how that view of like usually maximalism is not a very you know positive sum view. But I'll explain why I think you know stablecoin maximalism is kind of uh, the the best of all worlds. Um, usually, you know when when you say like maximalism, it's not really like oh everything else is bad or whatever. But Frax builds stablecoins. Uh, right now, we have three stablecoins. They have different pegs. That's the Frax stablecoin, which is pegged to the US dollar. It's uh, FPI, which is crypto's very first CPI pegged stablecoin, so pegged to a basket of consumer items. And then we have Frax Ether, which is the newest stablecoin that we've launched, which is pegged to one ETH. It's literally just pegged to one ETH. And so a lot of people call things similar to that LSDs or liquid staking derivatives. And so obviously, Frax Ether has a lot of similarities to LSDs. Um, we'll uh, talk about that, I'm sure. But basically, one liner of Frax, it's on our Twitter, it's on our community. It's we build the best and most innovative stable coins in the crypto space and we build stable coin infrastructure. And so, like, that's where, for example, Frax Lend. Frax swap and also the the newest infrastructure we've built for our stablecoin is called Frax Ferry, which is kind of like a bridge. It's kind of not a bridge. That's why we called it a ferry because it goes under bridges, but it's it's bridge-like infrastructure uh, for our stablecoin. So a lot of people see this and they're like, oh, the the Frax guys are all over the place. They're trying to compete with Ave and then you know with Frax Lend and then they're trying to compete with bridges with their uh, you know funny named Frax Ferry stuff and then they're like trying to compete with Lido, with Frax Ether. No, no, no. We're not doing that. It's like you said really well. It's a very, very 
uh, narrow scope vision. Like for example, we we don't build NFT marketplaces, right? We don't build like uh, you know uh, uh, NFT sets or something, or we don't build something really out of left field that has absolutely no you know synergy with our stable coin vision and the and the very narrow and couple few stable coins that we're focusing on um and so every single thing we build is about our stable coins we build the most innovative stable coins and the most important infrastructure to make them uh the most indispensable stable coins in DeFi. nice all right so overarching vision you're built Frax build stable coins and you've yes. got a couple different stable coins and you've got all these different mechanisms and products that you've built to support that vision. When I, I, I guess take us like 12 months ago, there were all these on chain, we can call them different things, programmatic, algorithmic, on chain stable coins. Today, I would say there are kind of four main players. It's there's USDC, there's Tether, there's DAI, and, and there's the, the like basket of stables that you guys are building. And then there's a bunch of other players, but why were you guys able to be so USDC and Tether are obviously like they're not, they're not like fully on chain stable, so it's really you guys. Yeah. yeah. So why were why were you guys able to survive when someone like I don't know Terra is probably a bad I don't even want to lump you guys in with that that bucket, but like why why were you guys able to survive this like colossal deleveraging event when other folks weren't? Yeah. So um, one thing I, I like to highlight for everyone that m might not be following Frax for like the past. Uh, year or so is like Frax has never lost its peg. Uh, Frax is kind of it, it's a it's a hybrid stablecoin in in terms of like different stability mechanisms. But uh, one thing I will actually say is that for our 2023 roadmap, what we're doing with Frax is that we're actually bringing it to 100% CR, uh, completely with completely exogenous collateral. But it will be algorithmic in the sense that all of this infrastructure, all of this on-chain stuff that I just talked about, it will run. Uh, with with Frax to stabilize the the price spec, but it will not have any kind of uh, reflexive collateral. It'll all be uh, exogenous collateral, and so we've we've actually made that pretty uh, clear a few times. But to uh, drive home the point, um, my personal belief is that if you're trying to go for the you know top dollar pegged stablecoin uh, market share, right, things like Tether, USDC, um, and and things like that you have to be the closest to the risk-free uh, asset that, that's, that's pegged to the dollar. And you'll, you'll never be the thing everyone flees to in a crisis, whether it's a liquidity crunch, whether it's like a uh, recession or, or things like that, if you're the most risky thing pegged to an asset. So even though we've never broken our peg, uh, obviously, everyone knows right now, de facto, the closest thing to risk-free on on chain is usdc right uh die wraps a lot of usdc we have a lot of usdc exposure on chain our amos have usdc liquidity the frax bp pool on curve which is this liquidity pool that other people can pair with and get a lot of frax protocol incentives uh proportional to their tvl that is also paired with usdc but this is not our long game our our long game is to actually be uh as safe as USDC and just as safe as the closest risk-free stablecoins. Uh, and to get there and to do that, we have to have 100% CR of exogenous collateral, which we are, uh, that is the top thing on, on the FRAX stablecoins roadmap this year. Uh, we have some innovative stuff that uh, we're working on, you know, in, in the back kind of with uh, trying to get the closest possible 
uh, collateral to to Fed deposits, right? The the Fed master account system, uh, that kind of stuff has a little bit hard to predict in terms of like the timeline, just because it's not really coding related work. Even though we're very good at shipping, you know, smart contracts, software, and things like that. But that's um that's one thing to highlight is I think we've done a really great job showing that we have the technology to stay at peg, which we've perfectly done. We've survived, like you're saying, the the crisis of 2022 with um, basically crypto deleveraging, macro market deleveraging, global uh, interest rates rising everywhere, right? Um, but that's not enough. So like we, we don't actually want to just pat ourselves on the back and be like, okay, great. Uh, we're, we're awesome too. Uh, we don't have to improve anything. No, we're going to consistently try to make fracks uh, the the safest stable coin won't happen overnight, but we have very consistent plans to make it uh, the closest thing as possible to the risk free kind of stable coin like USDC. And what what so getting in, diving deeper into like the how are we going to get um, the Fed deposits backing fracks? Like what is the plan to making that possible, and how realistic is that to? actually get there right because if i think about you know the the united states government working directly with an on-chain protocol there seems to be a gap there in their willingness um just given the the, the risk of them taking that on but you know ultimately the the way you could view it from the other side is well this is a huge source of demand for u.s treasuries and that's something that the, that the fed would ultimately be interested in yeah usually i don't really like to like speculate around like regulatory stuff because it's so hard to know right like uh, we're, we're obviously trying, um, you know, in, in the background and things like that. Um, and, you know, we're very, you know, f- attuned to what kind of regulations are coming or, or, or not coming, right? Like, uh, the bills that are in Congress, like the, this, the stable coin act that like, um, Senator Toomey proposed last year, but it's still not really up for voter or any, anything close. Um, but like, for example, that was really bullish, right? Like that actually had a pathway where stablecoin issuers can actually apply for uh, a FMA, like the, the Fed master account. Um, but I don't usually like to speculate because, you know, we don't really know how long it'll take, but I think, I think it's going to happen, right? Like, for example, USDC has a uh, direct relationship with uh, BlackRock, who manages their uh, their their collateral, right? And BlackRock has direct access to the Fed's reverse repo facility, which is de facto also just another uh, way to essentially get essentially direct access to the Fed being your only counterparty, right? And so they are working towards essentially what's the same thing. I think it's it's set up. It might not be fully like live yet, but they're they're working towards kind of the the same. Uh, structure, right? The same structure being basically in order for you to be the closest thing to the risk-free uh, asset when it comes to the dollar on chain, you have to be the closest thing where your only counterparty is the issuer of the dollar, right? The issuer of the thing that you're pegging to, which is uh, issued by the Federal Reserve, right? Um, you can't have like 20 different middlemen in between or like 20 different like rehypothecated like, you know, this is a deposit of a deposit of a deposit of like this entity's deposit, uh, but it's a dollar, right? And then at the end, it like backs USDC or, or like your, your fiat stablecoin, mm-hmm. right? Um, it'll never work because something will end up being the risk-free thing everyone flees to, right? Um, and if the peg is the US dollar, uh, my personal belief, and I think the facts line up with this, is that uh, 
at scale, if your peg is the US dollar, you're not going to escape government regulation through either fake or genuine decentralization. It just will not work at scale. At scale, meaning in the tens of billions, in the hundreds of billions of dollars of, of supply. If your peg is the USD, if it's something else, like maybe it's a basket of consumer items, which again, we have FBI, if it's something else, if it's an ETH peg or something, uh, it should be able to be totally possible to have a fully decentralized, fully uh, on-chain stable coin that does not have any custodial risk or real world asset risk or, or like has to bow to like regulatory pressure or anything off chain uh, because it's like Bitcoin, it's like Ethereum, it's the smart contracts actually can work and sustain it on chain in a fully digital economy. Mm. If your stable coin is pegged to a sovereign country's unit of account, which they can issue at size, there is no evidence that you can escape uh, government regulation or that you should. There's just no evidence. Um, I, I would love to talk to other people about how that's possible. I know there's a lot of people that, um, you know, say that, you know, uh, use, you know, X, Y, and Z, tiny, tiny market cap stable coin that's like pegged to the US dollar because it, you know, it's fully decentralized or whatever. Um, that's That doesn't work, right? Like we, we know the... Unless there's the like a, a very secret like uh, stability mechanism for pegging something that no one's yet discovered, right? Like and and like someone's gonna discover it and it's gonna be beautiful and and you can at scale peg to uh, whatever unit because like there's just this beautiful mathematical you know on chain stability mechanism, uh, which I don't think exists. But unless that's the only way you could do it is like some kind of brand new thing. It's not possible otherwise. There's there's no way you can escape, uh, and so that's why I think you don't have to over comply, right? Like you don't have to like basically you know have like white lists and double black lists and like be like you have to KYC to touch my fiat stablecoin or so. You basically have to be reasonable, right? You have to basically say if I want this stablecoin that you know, my protocol issues or in USDC's case, my company issues or something. And the next five to 10 years, I genuinely want this thing to be in the hundreds of billions of dollars, if not trillions, truly, in the next like decade, you're not going to escape like just being adversarial to to like regulation if your peg is the if your peg is the US dollar. So Sam, can I, can I try to repeat back to you almost what I feel like? Um... I feel like you've come to the conclusion over time that real world assets are crucial and necessary for the success of a decentralized stablecoin. But no. also, you've come to the conclusion that the only real world asset that you should have as collateral is a Fed deposit. Yes. That all okay. Second, second part. Second yes. part. True. Yes. Um, so, so maybe so. Like, I spend. Well, a lot let me of time let me like, clarify that. If, if yeah, I yeah, yeah. So there's a there's a thought that you know, the next, you know, great bull market or something is going to be real world assets that come on chain and stuff. And I think that part is true. I think that that's great. Mm -hmm. the, the, there's going to have to be real world assets. There's going to have to be all of this stuff, which I'm personally bullish about. I think, you know, uh, stuff like, you know, Frax Lend or lending markets and stuff should think about lending against these kinds of assets. However, I think if you're going to back your stable coin with various 
real world assets like loans to private companies or things like that. You look like a commercial bank. That's what commercial banks do. Uh, that is not the risk-free asset mm. or the closest thing to the risk-free uh, asset on chain, right? Mm. And so what's going to happen is that if you are a stablecoin issuer that's going to back your thing with a bunch of commercial paper or like real world asset tokenized commercial paper or whatever you want to call it, well, you're going to end up wrapping a very, very large amount of your supply uh, with either the stablecoin that is only treasuries and Fed reverse repo uh, contracts or FMA deposits, or you're going to have to do it yourself as well, right? Um, yeah. And so that's what you, you see in, in reality. You see the market. You can have many different opinions. We could just look at the, the actual empirical evidence on chain and on the markets, and that's what's going to happen. We don't want to actually lend to private, uh, you know, stuff like you don't want to lend to uh, private companies, car companies, this or that. Yeah, you're just creating uh, another commercial bank there. You want to use it a- exactly. We want to yeah, be the yeah. closest thing to risk-free, like USDC. That that's that's our end goal. Everyone, quick break from the show to tell you about. U.S. Treasuries. That's right. Bet you didn't see that one coming. Uh, U.S. Treasuries right now can earn up to 5%. I think the the exact number is like 4.8% right now. I have never, I'll be honest with you all, really thought about investing in U.S. Treasuries. I think for mainly two reasons. One is the yields were always super low. It was like half a percent or 1%, maybe even 2%. Now it's 4.8%, which is kind of a no-brainer. But the second big reason is that I don't know if any of you have been to the U.S. Treasury website, but it feels like it was built, like built for Netscape, like built, uh, you know, for like in the 1995, 1996, 1997 period. It's like such a clunky website. Really didn't trust sending my money there and honestly just had no idea how to navigate it. Now, I'm super excited to share that we've partnered with public.com. They have made buying U.S. Treasuries super easy. You can move your cash into their U.S. Treasury account right from your phone and start earning 4.8% today. There's no minimum hold periods, no settlement delays. You can access your cash whenever you want. They also automatically reinvest your T-bills at maturity so you don't have to do anything to continue growing your yield. Uh, Not only do they have access to these, you know, to uh, 4.8% yield through their Treasury account, but you can also trade stocks, crypto, uh, even fractional shares of fine art and other collectibles all in one place. Super, super interesting platform. Very excited to use them. Uh, If you guys also want to use them, you can go to public.com forward slash empire. That's public.com forward slash empire. Head over to public.com forward slash empire. I'm telling you guys that URL because I got to get credit for this. Move your cash into a treasury account today. Hope you guys enjoy it. So what do you think of... um... I'm just, I'm curious to get your, what you think of, uh, I was going to say maker, but actually, so when I look at, when you look at the kind of CFI companies of the 2016 to 2021 era, I'd call them, they all started with a different strategy. Some people started with like, like the anchorages and BitGo's and copper started as custodians. BlockFi and Celsius and Nexo started with like lend and borrow, stuff like that. Coinbase, like other people started as an exchange, but as you build, you all kind of they all built towards the same thing. The exchanges rolled out custody, custody rolled out lend and borrow, lend and borrow, like BlockFi rolled out their own exchange, and they all kind of ended up building the same thing. Uh, I see this happening in DeFi, where, and I think it, I think either you or someone else has called it the Trinity, where yeah. like the liquidity providers end up 
creating a stable coin. So I saw, you know, Ave created their own stable coin. You guys created like a lending service. Like, so I, I, I see this happening as well in DeFi. I'm curious what you think of, um, uh, maybe, maybe we'll start specifically with Maker. Like when you see Maker doing, there's a big debate inside of Maker where I spend a lot of time with like real world assets right now. What do you think of the, the real world asset like on Maker debate going on right now? Yeah. Um, first of all, yeah, I think that was that was me. I, I don't want to take like complete credit, but like we'll, that we'll was give you credit. We'll the, give you credit. The, 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 the Trinity the kind of <laughs> idea is like you just uh, you just see this kind of financial natural selection, right? This financial evolution of there is some kind of you know facts out in the real world, right? And markets discover them, right? The other way to think about it is like like physical physics laws, right? Like F equals MA existed in the world and then Isaac Newton discovered it one day, right? Um, same thing with financial laws of physics, so to speak, right? I'm, I'm a very big believer of that like there's a structure, right? There's kind of this like, so I, I was a philosophy major and a neuroscience major in college. So like my, my philosophy side is like there's, there's basically like a, uh, a, a platonic form of markets, or if you if you prefer a, like like a Hegelian structure to, to markets, and then like people discover them, like the market as a whole structures around the 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 truth basically. Um, and the truth is, DeFi is is something like stable coins, lending, and liquidity. Everything is different flavors of of these kinds of banking activities. Um, they're there are, you can build them autonomously without any custodial trust, right? Like, um, like, like Maker with the stablecoin side and and the lending side, like Compound and Ave, like FraxLend. Um, or you can build them with the custodial trust, and you know that's CFI type stuff like USDC, right? And and like Celsius and stuff with the lending. Um, I think what's going to happen is that the most useful kind of activity is going to become like a uh, winner take most market. And that's why you see stuff like Aave releasing a stablecoin, uh, Curve releasing CRV USD, because they're already dominant in one area, right? And um, the only place that they have to go is to expand to the other area, which is stablecoins and, and lending, so that they can increase their their market share, right? And so... This is all just banking activity, but just in, in like a new generation, right? Like the, the digital generation, the crypto uh, generation. That That's kind of how I think about it. And so the reason Frax is just really, you know, like I was saying, stablecoin maximalist in terms of mindset is that I think at the end of the day, the most useful and the most profitable uh, part of all of this infrastructure is the ability to generate a liability that people use as their currency right and and that's where most of the 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 money or the value will be generated the other stuff is kind of like infrastructure and you need them right you need that infrastructure it doesn't make them not important they're critical but in order for you to be able to be as important like like systemically important we talk about cfi banks and stuff being systemically important if you're going to get large enough to become uh very important you need to be able to issue your own liability that people use as, as currency or or the the asset in in place of right and and what i mean by use as currency is i mean to hold that in spot spot demand spot means just holding it in your wallet or like just sending it as payments without expecting an interest rate to be paid, right? If you issue a 
uh, stablecoin, whether it's back to ETH, whether it's back to USD, whether it's back to anything, and and another entity issues a stablecoin, but people always prefer to hold spot the other stablecoin because they have spot demand, aka demand as money that other people call monetary premium. You always have to pay some interest rate in order for people to leave that currency, which they use for with zero percent paid to them, right? To go and just hold yours, right? And you see this, for example, uh, like Dai has a lot of monetary premium. It was the first decentralized stablecoin, and it a lot of people, projects, DAOs, and stuff, just hold Dai as as a decentralized currency. Frax is also starting to get that, but it, you know, Dai is older. There, Dai has more monetary premium right now, um, and that's why, for example. The maker can go to USDP, Paxos, right? And, and it can go to these other stable coins, fiat stable coins, right? And it can say, hey, um, we will hold like $500 million of, of like Paxos uh, if you guys pay us some interest, right? Because no one else is using Paxos, for example, as money, as spot, right? And so in order for Paxos to have anyone use its own, uh, I mean, Paxos probably does have a little bit, right? But not anywhere near as much as as Dai. So in order for uh, people to, for Paxos to get any kind of demand, it has to pay an interest rate, right? It essentially needs maker's permission to hold it so that it can kind of make money on its like collateral, uh, on its treasuries, right? And pay some of it out to maker. So essentially, if you issue currency, if you're a stable coin issuer like maker, like Frax, which is our entire you know vision and, and goal, you need to be able to be good at creating long-term spot demand for your issuance of your liability. That's that's the ultimate thing. There's nothing else is like measured uh, in terms of like you know how, how much fees do you make or how much this or that. It's how much monetary premium does your does your stablecoin does your liability have compared to other people's uh, same pegged stablecoin, right? And that's the ultimate. Uh, test basically. Yeah, this is. It seems like a great time to to peel back a layer and get into the crypto economic side of things, specifically as it relates to Fraxies, because you guys used a very interesting two token model here, um, and it almost allows you to measure that monetary premium that the asset has. Uh, so Frax Ether, FRX ETH, uh, that actually accrues no staking rewards, and you have to actually opt into the staking rewards. So can you just walk us a little bit th quickly through what that model looks like, and then specifically how that enables you to measure this monetary premium that flows through the base asset, the, the stablecoin pegged Frax Ether? Yeah, definitely. So Frax Ether, uh, FRX ETH, is our newest uh, stablecoin. And uh, a lot of people were confused by the design. I think now a lot of people are getting it, which is really cool. Um, which it's a two token design. Um, and what Frax ETH is, it's, it's always backed by at least one ETH, either in validators that are currently run by the team. Eventually anyone can spin up validators and stuff. Um, but they're ETH backed in validators or ETH that is in different AMOs. Right now there's only a curve uh, AMO that, that manages the protocol on liquidity. Uh, and essentially the idea is that there's there's two tokens one like you're saying exactly dan there's frax eth that gets no interest itself if you if you hold it, it it's not rebasing it's not interest bearing it doesn't it doesn't do anything uh there's places that you can 
use it, for example, we do actually have incentives for you to LP on it, right? Uh, Curve also has a gauge, which we make sure to upkeep with good bribes and, and incentives and things like that. Uh, there's other places, other chains now actually have Frax ETH uh, liquidity pairs, right? Which we, we do help them with incentives and we do partner with them and, and things like that. But the idea is it's just an ETH peg stablecoin. You, you just you mint it one-to-one with ETH. Uh, the Frax Ether protocol takes most of the ETH and just stakes it in validator. So it kind of looks like an LSD, a liquid staking derivative like Lido, like Rocket Pool and things like that. It's not really because that's why we keep saying it's it's a stable coin. It's an ETH pegged stable coin. But most of the, the ETH is in validators because that's the closest thing to the as close as you can get to the risk free rate of uh, interest paid out by the issuer of ETH, which is the Ethereum protocol, right? The Ethereum network, the Ethereum blockchain. And so uh, a lot of it goes to validators. Um, then what you could do with Frax Ether is you can go and you can stake it in the POS vault. This is called the S Frax ETH vault, the staked Frax Ether vault. And that gets all the validator rewards that our validators uh, are earning. So all of the validator rewards minus a protocol fee goes directly to that vault. And so you get out the second token called SFRAXETH, staked FRAXETHER. And that is interest bearing that like the virtual price of that goes up, right? You can use that. It's a 4626 compliant, very gas efficient token. You can use it for lending. You can do a lot of stuff that's like very, very, very efficient for those specific things for interest bearing places. And and that's great. So it's just it's just Frax Ether that's interest bearing. It's staked in the POS vault, and that's it. So it, it gets like seven to eight percent APR, which is higher than other kind of LSDs because there's other people doing other things with the Frax Ether token that that inert stable coin, like providing liquidity, like using it in different places. We've actually had uh, people already message us for integrating it in different places. And the ultimate goal, as, as funny and lofty as it kind of sounds, is that after Shanghai, so after withdrawals are open, we want to have Frax Ether be a replacement for WEATH, which is the wrapped ETH ERC-20, just compliant wrapped ETH token, in as many places as possible. If we can have extremely deep liquidity, in a lot of places, a very deep curve pool to kind of bypass the the small kind of variable wait time of the withdrawal queue, right? Then you can have deep liquidity that can always be uh, swapped frax ETH for ETH, right? So people can still pay gas and things like that. But you have this very highly efficient gas optimized ERC-20 compliant uh, ETH token that's always one-to-one uh, backed extremely deep liquidity on like curve, Uniswap and stuff. Uh, and that is what hopefully a large amount of the uh, DeFi community will be using as a replacement for WEATH in, in the long term, obviously, like in the one, two, three year term. But it goes back to the view again of in order for you to be successful as a stablecoin issuer, no matter what your peg is, people have to want to use your thing as spot demand. They need to be making spot liquidity with it or just holding it as spot. Uh, you have to want to actually uh, hold it without getting paid some like ex- absorbent, like, you know, unsustainable yield and, and things like that. Otherwise, you'll like dump it for whatever the the risk-free, closest thing to risk-free stable coin is by some other issue, right? And so the important thing here is a lot of people call Fraxeth and LSD, it's probably more uh, accurate to call S Fraxeth 
the LSD, the staked frax ether, because that thing is the one that is the interest bearing thing and that it's getting all of the uh, proof of stake uh, validator yield. And frax ether is just an ETH pegged stablecoin. It's actually the first kind of hybrid uh, LSD kind of thing with the vision being it's just ETH money. It's just it's an ETH stablecoin. And what we can do with it is actually very unique. People haven't even considered what some of the stuff we're thinking about doing with it in terms of the the Weath replacement program. We call it Weather, Weather. And um, the idea is that in order for us to have this be successful in the future, uh, we basically need to get people to want to pair with Frax Ether. And also, we're going to want to make sure that everyone is kind of positive some uh, view that this is not kind of some kind of uh, zero sum. If it fracks Ether, uh, you know, replaces Weath and stuff like Lido, Steeth, or like Rocket Pools, Wreath, or something like that is, is going to uh lose out in fact something we're exploring because frax ether is is like a stable coin we can partially back frax ether with wreath and steeth again if they're, they're they're they should be super safe which they are they're leading lsd uh tokens right and uh currently both of them are are indeed larger than Fraxy. They're much older, but they are larger. And so they are uh, quite safe. So we can actually back uh, Fraxether with Wreath and Steeth, partly depending on the, the weights and the stuff that makes it the most useful as an, as an ETH stablecoin. So we are kind of trying to have this kind of stablecoin be the kind of successor to Weath, so to speak. And we want to make sure that everyone knows that we can make the closest thing to uh, the, the risk-free closest thing. I'm not saying, obviously, like there's no such thing as risk-free caveat, but the closest thing to uh, a risk-free replacement to uh, Weath by backing it with the, the top blue chip uh, LSDs, backing it with partial Steeth, partial Wreath. And so as Frax Seeth grows, so does Wreath, so does uh, Steeth, right? Um, and so it's a very positive sum view because... We're not trying to destroy market share. In fact, we're trying to think of it like once Shanghai is is open, right? The withdrawals are open. How can we make sure that the total amount of staked ether for everyone, not just on on like Frax's validators or something, but for everyone, grows as much as possible, right? Like I'm personally of the opinion that once withdrawals are open, instead of ETH price dumping, which is like a lot of what people like fud about and, and stuff, ETH price is actually gonna increase nominally uh obviously given if like the macro conditions in the economy are stay the same and don't get worse or something right but all things being the same i think eth price will actually dramatically rise uh after shanghai not investment advice because eth essentially becomes interest bearing right now eth is not really interest bearing because there's this huge like time horizon risk right the week before shanghai the eth devs could be like oh like something huge happened or something we're gonna push off shanghai eight months or six months uh there's no withdrawals right you still have this kind of like risk where all lsds are kind of bond like right there's like a discount steeth is like a center to uh, fluctuates uh wreath all of these things and so it's not really an interest bearing asset right ETH is not an interest-bearing asset currently. But when Shanghai and withdrawals are open, ETH becomes de facto an interest-bearing asset. You need an ETH stablecoin that kind of captures this monetary premium. We're hoping that it's going to be like Frax Ether because we've designed the whole system to be like that. But the fact that ETH essentially becomes 
interest bearing should increase its nominal price, right? If you think about it, uh, if they like, that's why increasing the Fed rate, right? Makes dollars more valuable. The price of things come down, right? If ETH becomes de facto interest bearing, the price of ETH should go up uh, in, in relative to other things. So I actually think post Shanghai, all other things equivalent, which is not a given, but all other things equivalent, I think the price of ETH should dramatically rise. And it'll slowly, obviously, like meet the time horizon. It's not like after Shanghai, it's going to, you know, like pump 20% in one day. Once the, you know, event horizon is known, right, like that there's not going to be any delays, there's not like any issues and stuff, there should be a dramatic price. So you could argue that that's actually what's, you know, currently happening. Yeah, I was about to say the uh, the recent price action is making me think anything's possible. But um, yeah, it's clear the the similarities between Frax and Frax Ether are actually you know strikingly similar. Um, and it's clear that like building out Frax has really assisted in building out what Frax Ether is, uh, what what it can become. Um, but one thing I want to hit on is the inter interesting bootstrapping mechanism you use. So when a user comes to Frax and says, "Hey, I want to I want to mint one Frax Ether." Uh, the user provides one ETH, and it's actually 90%. So 0.9 of that ETH is used to spin up validators, and 0.1 is used for peg stability. Uh, and so that 0.1 ETH is kind of what I want to focus on here, because that gets deposited into the curve pool, um, where Frax ETH finds its deepest liquidity. And so what this does is it helps build strong, uh, like additional confidence in the asset, obviously, these uh, stable coins need a strong peg, and, but it also generates additional income that then gets used for liquidity bribing and it, you know that kind of spins up a flywheel of attracting more liquidity. Um, so if you could walk us through what that looks like, uh, you know, there's been some recent discussions on Twitter around like the safety of this, and I'd like to get your take on that side of it as well, right? Because you know, if what happens if the curve pool imbalance shifts and like, you know, this isn't. Like it's not backed by Frax Ether is like no longer backed by just ETH, right? It's ninety percent ETH and ten percent an LP token that involves ETH and Frax ETH. Yeah, definitely. Um, so that's uh, exactly the the case, right? Right now, there's 0.9 for every one ETH, so ninety percent goes to validators, uh, which which back Frax Ether, and then ten goes to actually. Uh, 10% or 0.1 ETH for every ETH goes to uh, Curve, right? And it's protocol controlled liquidity. Um, a lot of people have like a hard time uh, doing kind of the, the virtual math about it. And uh, so like they, they think, okay, um, this is kind of risky or something like that. And uh, the answer is two things. One is as long as the ETH is added single-sided if, if the imbalance is more, uh, if it's under peg, right? If ETH is added single-sided from the protocol's market operations, if Frax ETH is under peg, the collateral ratio actually rises above 100%, right? Because think about it. If you add single-sided ETH and Frax Ether is under peg, you're buying back your own liability at under the peg price. Right, so the first thing people that are like thinking about this, uh, that are listening, should should think about the economics is, if you add single-sided ETH to a AMM pool like Curve, and and the and the stable coins peg is under the desired peg, you're actually rising the CR above a hundred percent. Okay, so that that that's number one. Um, number two is if the stable coin is perfectly at peg, right? Let's say it's like 50-50, you can, if you're adding, uh, you know, let's say 100 ETH, you can actually in the market operations contract also mint 100 Frax Ether 
to pair it 50-50 together. So in total, you add uh, 200 tokens, 100 Ether and 100 Frax Ether. This is that what confuses everyone, right? This is what people are like, oh, so it, it is really uh, under collateralized. I knew there was some kind of, you know, like hocus pocus, black magic going. It is, it is under back. It's not. This, it, people, uh, are, it's, it's hard for people to do simulated math. If you think about this situation, right? There are more Frax Ether literally on the blockchain, right? In this example, you add 100 ETH and 100 Frax ETH into the curve pool because it's, it's perfectly 50-50, okay? Recall that if it was under peg, you just added single-sided, ETH single-sided, right? And you rise the, the CR above 100 because you're buying back Frax Ether at under peg. If you add these 50-50, think about this. Anyone that wants to take out a Frax Ether token from the curve pool at the peg, they are sending in one Ether plus a small fee into the LP, right? And now the protocol or the LP token holders, they own that one ETH that is now in their possession. And the user has one Frax Ether possession, right? So the, the CR remains exactly at... 100%. In fact, it slightly goes above 100% because there's like a tiny, tiny fee but, uh, from, from transaction fees, right? But the CR in all instances stays the same. So we came up with this, like, right, originally, like you're saying, from the Frax dollar pegged stable coins curve AMO. We came up with these virtual calculations. In fact, the curve AMO does these virtual CR calculations on chain. If you look at the Frax stable coins curve AMO, you can literally call. A view function that's like, uh, what is the actual claims of collateral on all the LP tokens that the AMO contract has? It's actually very uh, elegant, and so it like actually does all of it. It depends on the A factor, uh, and it's not like if the A factor is different, the CR will go below 100. It, that's not true. It depends on the A factor because you have to know when and how quickly the CR actually goes above 100. Because if this A factor is very, very large, right? If it's like 5,000 A factor, even as the curve pool gets more and more imbalanced, you're still swapping at a one-to-one -one rate. It's almost like a one-to-one -one, uh, minting and redemption function, essentially, right? And so you intake the A factor as a, as a dependent variable, whatever it is from the pool. You actually simulate all the swaps. Uh, and then you say, okay, how much in the worst possible case if someone just buys out all of the Frax Ether, um, do I have, you know, I as the AMO, do I have claims on, on collateral? In fact, the CR in this situation rises. The thing you're calculating is how much does the CR rise rather than how much does it go down? So it's actually just an example of uh, things that look one way are actually exactly the opposite. And in fact, it's good that people are questioning it. In fact, there's a lot of people that uh, have actually looked at Frax, the dollar-pegged stablecoins, uh, AMOs and things like that. And it's, you know, they're like, oh, this is really cool after I actually took a look. You know, it's, it's all open source, right? Unlike, you know, Terra and, and other stuff, we don't do any kind of like market making ever. We don't send things to like Jump or Wintermute. We don't do any centralized. Like Frax is a DAO. Nothing we do is off-chain. So like... There's no, there's no hiding anything, right? And so, in fact, if you don't believe something, uh, go and investigate it. Ideally, don't make like a, a, a weird 
to tweet about how first you think it's like super like <laughs> suspected stuff and it turns out like you actually don't understand it you could you don't uh, say you don't yeah. say <laughs> but which is usually people's favorite thing to do but yeah. um but it's uh it's been checked obviously don't trust me verify but also don't tweet and then verify mm -hmm. right like first verify and then uh but the idea the 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 point here is a lot of stuff that might look uh one way uh actually are exactly the opposite when you tell someone actually this ri raises the cr they're they're like their mind is blown sometimes right rather than oh this makes it like a algo ponzi under collateralized thing but the opposite is also true too people should really be careful so i like the skepticism and it's really good things that look fully backed or or like the, the things that intuitively originally uh are like oh th this is totally safe might be really really hmm. messed up in in the back once you really do the accounting uh, just like how this looks kind of weird uh when you when you look at it but it's actually like becoming over collateralized slowly rather than under collateralized the opposite is also true so i we we like the fact that everyone is you know doing their their part and and not trusting but verifying Sam, I, I, I want to pull us back out for a second just because I have two like overarching, uh, I have two like maybe higher level questions for you. One is, um, do you ever, so you, you talked about these like business rules or like mar free market rules or whatever. Um, one thing that I feel like is true in, in business is like you going niche tends to, going niche and then once you cap tends to win and then you, like go, you, I think a good business strategy is like go niche, capture the niche, win the niche and then expand out. Um, do you ever think that like the better strategy would be to like, like Lido Lido is just focused on, uh, liquid staking and they've like dominated that market or like USDC circle used to do all these things. Remember back in 2017, they had like one of the biggest OTC desks. They had the retail app, they sold everything. And then they just focused on USDC and they've been able to win so far, at least the stablecoin market. Do you ever think like, Hey, maybe we should, I'm not trying to tell you how to do things obviously, but I'm like, w it, there's another world where you try to like dominate one market and then go into another market and then go into another market instead of doing all these different things. I'm just, I just want to, I don't even know the question there. I just want to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally agree. I think the difference is that we think that narrow market is stable coins, just mm. strictly stable coins, uh, like not NFTs, not uh, like a blockchain phone or something. I think Solana is doing that somehow or something. Um, and, and the reason is that if you if you look, for example, people have this categorical uh, issue, I think, or like they're they're like either too narrow or they're too broad, which is what I think you're criticizing correctly. Is like, for example, uh, no one tells Binance or Coinbase you should just focus on the spot market. You're a centralized exchange. You should just focus on just just the spot market because in their mind, a centralized exchange is basically like a lot of custodial services, like like leverage, uh, you know, uh, fiat on a, off ramp, and like swapping tokens and all these things, right? Um, it's not just the the spot order book, right? Uh, otherwise, you'd have people being like, oh, I don't like the fact that like Binance is you know doing a, a launch pad and then uh, BSC its own blockchain and all this stuff. Um, they have a conception of centralized exchanges. Just they do a bunch of stuff that's custodial in in nature. That yeah. that's what it means, right? I think because uh, it was really hard from a technical perspective to build a lot of original DeFi primitives. People think that oh, like an AMM is just its own like market segment 
and like you just you should just focus on on like an AMM or like a lending thing, a contract like Ave or Compound that matches uh, borrowers and and lenders. That's just its own industry, and you should just you know kind of stay in your lane or something like that. Or like if if you uh, issue like a stable coin, right? Like like Maker with with Dai, you should just do that. And um, the issue is those are all the same thing. That at least that that's my that's my view and the reason we're working on infrastructure like FraxLend, FraxSwap, and FraxFerry to to basically uh, you know support our stable coins. Uh, if you think about it, we're, we've been very consistent. Like we're not uh, making FraxFerry this generalized token bridge come and like bridge your you know uni tokens or or like MKR tokens, and it, we're we're never planning on doing that, right? Like we're we're very uh, methodical in in the scope. Our scope is just something that people intuitively think is is too much but i think they're going to come to realize and, and and as you said very well like curve is issuing a stable coin ave is issuing a, a stable coin um and and all this stuff people are going to intuitively realize in like the next 6 to 18 months oh actually those were the same thing right they they are the the same scope like we're not built. We're not trying to compete with OpenSea or Blur or like you know um, uh, Yuga Labs with with like NFTs and in GameFi and stuff, right? We're competing with like uh, I wouldn't really say competing, but we're in the same area as as basically like serious finance with uh, with blockchain, you know, non-custodial primitives, right? That that's basically yeah. what the scope is. Mm. Okay, so then okay, so my next question would be: so there's this blockchain trilemma, right? Which is um, uh, security, decentralization, scalability. In stable coins, I feel like you also have a, a similar trilemma, which is uh, uh, decentralization, scalability, and then replace security maybe with stability, uh, the price stability. And I think there have been a couple of different models so far of decentralized stable. So like USD, uh, excuse me, UST, they were like decentralization plus really scalable, but they didn't have the stability, so they depegged. Then like LUSD is decentralized and super stable, but they can't scale. And then there's DAI and FRAX, which I'd say are really stable, um, really scalable, but there's probably like risk from USDC. Um, because like, right, you're, you you mentioned like the risk-free risk free rate or risk-free asset in DeFi. And right now USDC is that risk-free asset. And that's like DAI and FRAX kind of have like underlying USDC risk. So you guys, there's two different strategies. Like I'd say DAI is starting to is look going down this kind of real world asset route where like they're starting to be like backed more and more by loans from private companies with like these intermediaries and like people are trying to figure it out a little bit. Frax, on the other hand, the way I'm hearing it from you, tell me if any of this is wrong, is like you're planning to hopefully get this like Fed master account where you can get um uh, Fed Fed deposits, and that's like that is a that that's a trillion dollar idea right there. Like that is a I, I see the vision. I totally get it. Isn't it contingent though on getting the Fed account? Like, what happens if you can't get the Fed account? Uh, I think we can get it. <laughs> I guess okay. that's okay. funny. Uh, did, I, did, that, I get, did I get that like overview right? And is that like yes? Is that the so, okay. so you you totally got it right. Um, and again, I think it's important to talk about that that stablecoin trilemma because you said it well. It's like uh, you know the issue is and it goes back to what i was saying is at scale if you're a dollar peg stablecoin i don't think you can 
uh, escape kind of regulation or interaction with the state uh, at scale. And like, for example, you know, you said the the stable coins here in, 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 our, in your example, like Dai and Frax, they're like the only ones that have at above a billion uh, market cap uh, that are like decentralized, right? Like they're you know, on-chain natives, right? Um, and it's very obvious. It's just, it's very hard to continue to scale these things uh, with a dollar peg without having some kind of link to just one real world asset, right? That one real world asset is, you know, treasuries, FMA deposits, just pure cash, right? Like, like, like uh, reverse repo contracts, right? Just basically the, the Fed is the counterparty, right? Uh, or the closest way to get to the Fed counterparty. And if you don't have that, uh, which we don't right now and Maker doesn't, you wrap something that's the closest thing of them, right? Like right now, fiat coins are essentially real world assets for the good ones, right? They're the real world assets for uh, treasuries without the yield, right? Uh, and and like um, Fed reverse repo facilities, right? Like which is what basically Circle is trying to do. Um, so that's the issue. The issue is that at scale, you you can't. This trilemma limits you. There's no evidence that any fully decentralized stablecoin like like LUSD, Rai, all of these things. There's there's no evidence that they can scale. Uh, the dollar peg, right? Like Rye has this fluctuating peg, uh, albeit, but it is kind of fixed to, you know, the arbitrary 3.14 kind of pi dollar value, right? Um, and so uh, FPI and Frax Ether are not in any way constrained by this this view of like, uh, they can and will and, and should be fully decentralized, non-custodial, fully on-chain uh, stable coins. And they they are currently um but the dollar pegged ones i don't see how it's it's mm. possible to ever be and and so like our view is there's there's a one real world asset model right one real world asset you don't need more than that um especially if you're trying to be the simplest and and least risky a uh, dollar stablecoin at scale you don't need um a bunch of you know private loans it'll be more profitable so like one thing there's nothing wrong with for example makers real world asset uh stuff it'll it, it might actually make them much more money right and that's it's more risky so they get more interest from the private companies that can actually uh by definition default and, and like the the u.s treasuries get uh paid out nice all the time. i know we have a hard stop in a couple of minutes here so i just i want to uh i want to see if there's any frax alpha you can uh you can share with us or and anything that uh maybe you haven't shared with folks um that you're open to sharing with empire here yeah so um some of the stuff so, so some people probably uh like read all, all of our, our tweets and, and stuff but we we are developing kind of a, a, a new thing called uh the the bam b-a-m-m which is called the the uh borrow amm and it's uh it's like this stealth thing uh it's it's going to come out this year and uh it's kind of something that we think is a zero to one innovation for for DeFi essentially, and you can you can borrow uh, stuff and also have spot liquidity without really an oracle. There's no like external oracle and things like that. And so the idea here is for Frax and all of our stable coins to capture the long tail market. So have debt denominated in uh, long tail assets, have it not be 
uh, risky, like like long tail assets, because those need like chain link oracles before this, right? They all need to have like very, very deep liquidity on chain. We're trying to do it the other direction, go at it from first principles. Uh, people don't know what this does, and I don't actually want to uh, reveal it, but um, it's on our roadmap. Uh, on the roadmap, we also don't reveal exactly what it is because we were like uh, very, um, you know, kind of DL about it. But you heard it here first. We're working on something called the BAM, B-A-M-M. Uh, it's totally different from anything in, in DeFi. Sometime in 2023, it should be out. All right. Dan, any last thoughts here? Yeah, no, that's exciting. Now I'm going to have to keep sliding those DMs of yours and, and bother <laughs> you about something else. I'd love to hear it. Uh, I guess, so, you know, we've talked about decentralization. So real quick, you know, I know you're working towards removing the reliance on multi-sigs from Frax. Um, and that's going to be like a gradual process and using that 6 of 11 governance system that you guys are sort of pioneering as well. Do we, I know he was going through some audits. Do you have any timeline on when that could uh, implementation? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I actually think this is even a, a good uh, governance and stuff is a, is a good uh, podcast episode in and of itself. Yeah. So just to answer super quickly, it's uh, about two months, give or take, uh, away from, you know, having actual uh, parts of the protocol be fully uh, using it. And we hope to do it like sometime Q2. And uh, it's still fully set to, to do that. It's an interesting thing. I, I know you wrote about it, actually. I link your uh, report uh, a lot so, so people can know. So a lot of the stuff that um, Frax currently does uh, using an, an MSIG will be fully on-chain, uh, which is basically... Uh, controlled by VEFXS holders, and so it'll be—it's a really interesting structure. Mm -hmm. I know that you know exactly how it works. Uh, hopefully, Q2 is the answer. Nice, Sam. I know you got to jump, man. This is this is awesome. I have a feeling this will not be the last time you're on Empire. So, really appreciate you coming on, man. Of course. Thanks for having me, guys. See you. Awesome. Cheers. Cheers, man. Mm -hmm.